Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the one and only Dave Fremlin Show. I am the one and only Dave Fremlin, and you are listening to me. Yay! And today is Friday, December 3rd, and it's a beautiful, beautiful morning here in gorgeous Central Florida. You know, I never knew weather could be like this. It's really quite amazing. So today I have um, the first topic is going to be kind of weird and int- we have three topics. First, I'm going to talk about my restless leg syndrome very briefly. And then I'm going to talk about an incident that happened to me last night and into this morning and how I dealt with it and what is the most appropriate way to deal with such a thing. And then there'll be another topic after that, if I remember. So the first topic is about restless leg syndrome. Now, as you know, I have been struggling really, really hard. You are listening to The Dave Fremlin Show. Um, it takes a so, super uh, duper long time yeah. to boot it up. Um, and so I, anyways, and now tonight I'm going to not give you some information. Yay! A doctor. Um, which I forgot what it is. Right. You are listening to the Dave Fremlin Show. Yay! I guess we'll see what happens, right? For the last, well, it's been off and on the last couple of days. And I have determined that sugar is an absolute no-no. And because uh, the two days that I ate sugar, it seems like I had really bad restless legs th- those nights. So sugar is a no-no. And uh, I will not try that again. I don't need to re-experiment with that. So last night actually was a pretty good night. The night before was terrible. but la- And I was, yesterday was a really rough day for me. But this morning... Um, this, oh, yeah, the third topic is about my father. Okay, so the, anyway, this morning or last night was a very good uh, restless legs night in that I still had restless legs, but it came on at the usual time. It came on at a manageable level. In other words, I could deal with it, you know, and then um, I remember getting up oh, about two or three times after I initially had gone to bed at about two o'clock. I remember getting up maybe once at about 2.30 and once at about quarter to three and being somewhat annoyed, but not like overly annoyed because I just sort of was like, well, it's not after, once it's after 3.30 in the morning, it's really annoying. But it was before that time. It was around three or quarter to three. And I thought, well, okay, if it ends in the next few minutes, it's probably all right. And sure enough, uh, after a couple of minutes of standing around and walking around my house, in fact, I got all dressed and I was almost ready to go outside for a walk around the block. And I just, before I went out my front door, I thought, I just don't want to put shoes on. And so I just um, got undressed again and went back to bed. And I fell into a very, very, very deep sleep. And I had a really, really, really interesting, I don't remember them now, but I remember waking up from a dream on about four in the morning and thinking I wanted to finish the dream. I was in a dream that I liked. Um, so what did I do different last night? I started taking magnesium L3 and 8. And I started in my last dose of magnesium before bed is at 11 o'clock. I take massive doses of lots of different things. But then I decided to take only, only L3 and 8. Uh, about at about midnight, I take about a thousand milligrams of L3 and eight, and then at about one o'clock, 
I take another thousand milligrams of L3 and 8. No other magnesiums. And, um, and that seems to put me into a really deep, dreamy, very um, refreshing sleep. And when I wake up, today was about six hours. And when I woke up, I felt very awake, very alert, very okay. Uh, it's on the slight anxious side, but for the most part, feeling very okay today. And I have clear thinking. And um, so I'm thinking that no sugar, no sugar, or at least as minimal as possible, and like no sugar. And um, and then I'm thinking that the L3 and 8 is a good thing. And then to just still be kind of try to like put up with it. But I don't really, re I remember that I got up a couple times with restless legs, but I don't really remember it in its physical form, which I'm trying very hard to not remember it. So that, I would consider that a successful restless legs night. And that came on the heels of a very good dance class. Uh, so I think that the later that I can push physical activity during the day, the better, really. It's honestly, it's, it seems very, um, the hardest part, honestly, it's not that hard staying up late at night if I have enough energy, you know, from, if I monitor my physical activity and don't start getting physical till 6 p.m., 7 p.m., you know, then it really works well. The hardest part is in the morning because I wake up and I wake up ready to go, you know, alive and and ready. And um, and then when I, uh, it, it's hard to keep myself from, it's hard to keep myself from, uh, it's hard to keep myself from just hitting the ground running and trying to get moving, moving along. And so um, that's the hardest part. And so what I've tried to do is make everything sedentary in the morning. You know, sitting here doing a podcast, editing the podcast, listening to other podcasts, reviewing my podcast, going over my emails, paying bills, anything I can sit down for. In fact, my next thing is at one o'clock and it's a haircut. So sitting down all the way till two o'clock, you know, then the gym probably. And then I have work tonight. But so that... Um, that is really, if you're a person out there suffering with restless legs and you're trying to get off the restless legs medicines and you're suffering, the really the formula that works the best for me and might be for you too or your friend or your loved one is honestly figure out the magnesium that works best for you. But you need magnesium taurate, magnesium glyconate, magnesium L3 and 8, and there's a couple of other ones in there that you need. I take all of them. And then I have recently been experimenting with L3 and 8 only and at night because I read that L3 and 8 for sleep. And so it seems to be working. And I take a brand called Magtech by Natural Stacks. And it's a very good brand. I really like it. Get it at Sprouts Market. Okay, and the next topic I want to talk about is very important. Okay, this is about how to be the right kind of neighbor. Now, last night I went to a dance class. I live in a condominium, and we have assigned parking. And I've been parking in my parking spot for about a year now. And uh, no problems at all. I have a very responsive HOA, so that's good. So last night I came home about 10 p.m., I was out of my parking spot from about 7 till 10 p.m. last night. 
when I came home, there was a car in my spot. It was 10 p.m. And the Dave Fremlin Show is now available on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. If you like listening to The Dave Fremlin Show, don't forget to follow me and subscribe to my podcast and share me with a friend. Thank you and have a nice day. What am I going to do? I don't know whose car it is. Uh, I have nowhere to park now. And so I don't. I didn't know what to do. So I parked in the next spot over, which is my neighbor's parking spot. Uh, for you know, open, Honestly, I parked there. I was going to go down to the security office and ask the security guard, what should I do? And so I ran into the security guard. I said, well, the security guard, what should I do? <coughs> and he said, well, don't park in the in the numbered spot that's your neighbor spot because they might come home and have you towed and you wouldn't want to not tow somebody else and then have your car towed so he said park in the guest spot overnight and then notify the management office and then either have that car towed or you know put a note on the car or whatever in fact they i was the one who suggested putting a note on the car they were like tow the car but i thought what if i tow the car and it turns out it's my neighbor and they accidentally, you know, the numbers on the parking spaces are really, really hard to see at night. And maybe they came home, they're in a hurry, they had to go to the bathroom. And maybe their real parking spot is the one next to mine or two up from mine. And maybe they just accidentally parked there. And so I didn't want to tow their car and then have them be my next door neighbor. You know what I mean? Like, how terrible is that? <clears throat> so I decided that the best thing to do is put a note on their car and explain in the note that this is my spot and that it would be nice if they could move their car and then contact the management office and let them know what I did. So I came down to my, I moved my car to the guest spot. I came down to my house. I wrote a very nice note. Dear neighbor, this is my deeded parking spot. I think you might've parked here by mistake. Um, Please move your car within 24 hours because I need to park here. Thank you very much and have a nice day. And then I waited till this morning. I contacted my management office with an email. Then I went up there this morning and you know, I get up very, very late, very late. And I got up late and I went up there and the car was still there. And I was kind of like, now what do I do? And so I contacted my management office and I asked them if they could check the parking sticker and the license plate number and you know maybe contact the person who belongs to that car before I tow them. And they emailed me back saying, tow the car. We don't have a record of that car. You should have the car towed. So I was like, I don't really want to do that because I really have a belief in my heart that that's my neighbor. And so I went back home. I was going to wait until about four o'clock today. And I talked to my friend and I said what my plan was. And she said, yeah, well, let me know what happens. And so I went up there just randomly to check to see before I call the tow truck again. And it turns out the car has been removed. So that's good news. And then I got an email from the management office. Please don't call a tow truck. We've located the owner of that car. They are your neighbor. And they're going to go up and move the car. So please don't call the tow truck. And so I sent them back an email saying that I did not call a tow truck and that I'm very glad that they were able to contact the owner and have the car moved. 
So the problem has been solved, and the lesson of the story, the moral of the story, is, you know, the first reaction should never be, let's get rid of this car. You know what I mean? Like, how would you feel if you accidentally parked in the next spot than your own spot, and then before you had time to even understand that you had done that, your car was towed for like 150 bucks away? You know what I mean? Like, how would you feel? And I think that the courteous thing to do as a good neighbor is to literally let them know, give them as much possible time to move the car as possible and do everything within my power to contact them, (coughs) (coughs) which is what I did. And so my lesson is I feel, although I kind of was a little frustrated by the situation, I think ultimately that by being a little patient and by having a little bit of empathy and compassion and putting myself in their shoes like how would i feel if it was my car okay and could they have possibly parked there by accident did they maliciously park there to hurt me and so by this is literally very good mental health recovery right here because rather than jumping to a conclusion and flying off the handle um you know there was a, a definitely a more slowed down more less reactive and more um, diplomatic and professional way to deal with it. And as such, I avoided having any kind of a future confrontation with that potential neighbor. And so the lesson of that is don't immediately react, don't jump to conclusions, you know, do your best to try to do the right thing. And give people every opportunity to take the benefit of the doubt, which is what I did. And I feel very, very good about it. I feel like I, you know, in the in my past, I could have definitely flied off the handle and made a reaction out of it. But I feel very good that I was able to be patient and wait and give that person the opportunity to correct the problem because they probably didn't know. They probably just pulled into the spot and then thought, oh yeah, and then they probably went down to their home and they probably didn't even realize that they were in the wrong spot. And if they would have gone up there and their car would have been towed, it would have been very, very upsetting for them. So it was nice of me to do the right thing and hopefully that neighbor appreciates it. I did not put any identifying information on my note because I didn't want anyone to come banging on my door later on. So later they might put a note on my car thanking me. I don't know. I don't expect anything. And third topic, which looks like I'm right on time. Third topic is, you know, this about Alzheimer's and about dealing with death in the family. Now, I am in a situation in my family where I don't talk to most of my family. They, over my father, my father has bad Alzheimer's and he became very ill. And when it came time for the vaccines, my brothers and I had a very mm, strong disagreement. And rather than sitting down and talking out our various factual opinions and points and laying it on the table and getting with the doctor, my brothers just rushed in to vaccinate my dad. We're going to do it. We don't care what you say. And even though the, there was no reason to rush into it, they did. And my father almost immediately started becoming very ill. He didn't have these problems before the vaccine. Now he's almost dead. And so um, I found out yesterday that my brother has been trying to contact me, which he will not be able to do in order to let me know that they've done a do not resuscitate order on my father. He's going to be removed to hospice and he will no longer be having people struggle for him to live. And I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is um, 
I'm not okay with the fact that my brothers, you know, I'd warned them. What is the point of rushing? And then they lied to me. And they said, no, we won't. Vac- if you feel that strongly, we won't do it. But then they did it anyway and lied to me about it. And then when I said he's having blood clots, they didn't want to tell me the results of the test. Hi, I'm Dave Fremland, host of The Dave Fremland Show on Podbean. Now you can listen to me on Spotify also. But please support my podcast by clicking the follow button on the Podbean or Spotify app. Thank you for listening. And have a nice day. <clears throat> and the reason is because they know I'll never talk to them again. But what they don't know is that I will never talk to them again anyway. Because, and it's not about my father dying. My father had Alzheimer's, you know. He didn't want to be like that. If he dies, it, he's not dying young. You know, and I accept death. I understand death. I don't have a problem with death in the natural order of things. But my father had perfect health other than Alzheimer's. And then three months after getting the vaccine, he's suddenly falling down and they can't figure it out. And I said, it's blood clots. And then I said, get a D-dimer. They don't want to discuss it after that. I get no apology from my brother. I get no, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we should have waited. I get none of that. I get no admission, nothing. I get no report. Oh yeah, the D-dimer came back elevated. I know it came back elevated because of the way that they responded to me. You know what I'm saying? If it was not elevated, there would have been a, the D-dimer came back not elevated. You were wrong. But there wasn't that. There was, hey, by the way, what was the, D-di- the D-dimer result? Oh, um, um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, which means I don't want to tell you the answer because you were right. And so what they don't realize, and this is the, the thing that's the most painful. It's very painful for me. And if you're out there and you understand this, then you'll really get it is once the truth has been shown to me, you showed me the truth. You showed me the truth. There were three of us involved in this decision and only two of you made the decision. And I'm the one who had a dissenting opinion and rather than even having, let's like wait a week, it was we're doing this anyway and you're too stupid to have an opinion that counts. And now what's happened to me because of this is I woke up, I had the curtains pulled from away from my eyes and I was like, wait a minute, for the last seven years, you've been telling me you respect me, that I'm smarter than I think, that you think I'm a genius, that this, that, the other, couldn't do it without me. And now when there's a very important life and death decision, I'm too stupid to actually trust my opinion, to even discuss my opinion. And you want me to just erase that? Like you could come crawling on your knees asking me for forgiveness and I will forgive you. The problem is I will not put myself in a position to be hurt again. And now that I know you could apologize and I know you're sorry and I forgive you for the action that you took. The problem is that I know you're the kind of a person that would act that way and I know that you'll act that way again. And I know that I can't trust you because I know that for seven years, you manipulated and lied to me. <coughs> so you can apologize and you can admit that I was right and you were wrong. You can do all that. But what it doesn't take away is you already hurt me. You already stabbed me in the back. You already showed me that I couldn't trust you. And you've already taken away any reason that I ever had to respect you 
and any belief that I ever had that you respected me is gone. And there's no way to just wave a magic wand and say that never happened. Oh, it never happened. These things that you did to me, they didn't happen. Boom, it's all forgiven. No, I forgive you. I understand you're human. I've had transgressions myself. I forgive you 100%. The problem is I cannot erase. I cannot unsee what I have seen. Short of getting Alzheimer's or short of a head injury, I cannot erase it. And I, I think you could spend your whole life trying to show me something different. And I think that the big hurt has already occurred. And so the sad part is that my father is dying unnecessarily. Although I'm not sad about it because he really wouldn't want to live the way he is. And I don't like him living the way he is either. So that part is not truly a problem. But the problem is that there will be no funeral for me to go to and there will be no seeing my brothers and sharing our grief and sharing our love for our father. It's not going to happen. I will have to deal with my feelings myself and my brothers. There's nothing that can be done. And what I want to warn you about in this podcast is to be very aware when you, when you act in a way that is insincere and eventually the real truth comes out, the level of hurt that is caused between you and the other person, it might be irreparable. It might be completely irreparable. And the more that you care and want those people in your life and that you're so afraid to show them the truth. If my brother would have told me he thought I was an idiot seven years ago, I would have dealt with him accordingly. I would, he would, he could still be my brother and I would just treat him like a person that I know thinks I'm an idiot. But instead he tried to convince me of something else only to get what he wanted out of me. You understand there's a big difference there. You know, if you're, oh, you're an idiot. I accept you how you are. I don't really expect anything from you. We're just friends. That's perfectly fine. I know where I stand. But you tell me that, oh, you're so smart and you're so great. You're so good at handling things. Can you help me handle this thing? And then I help you handle it. And then I go, now I get to have a say in the decisions that are made. And you go, oh, no, no, you're too stupid to make decisions. Hello? How am I supposed to erase that? You tell me. And so the lessons are for this podcast are, first of all, restless legs can be dealt with, with patience and experimentation and creativity. All right, engagement with the with the disease. You have to engage with the disease and you have to make it you have to not make it your enemy, but just be aware of it and make it, you know, like work within the framework that it gives you. That's thing one. Thing two, if you are a neighbor in a complex multiple people and somebody accidentally transgresses into your space, rather than fly off the handle and create a future tense you know, I have to live next to this person forever. So rather than create a situation that is needless, it doesn't hurt to step back from the situation, wait a little bit, give the person the benefit of the doubt, lapse some time, do your best to find another solution and don't fly off the handle and react. This has been a very good lesson for me. And third and last, when it comes to family decisions, it is very important to set out what the boundaries and rules are going to be ahead of time. And once somebody has shown you 
the truth about how they really are and how they really think about you, it's very hard to erase it. And so before you engage with a family member in an artificial way to manipulate them, think about what the potential consequences to you are going to be once they find out because the consequences might be more hurtful to you than they are to them and might be so hurtful to them that they react to you. Okay, my circumstances are that my family hurt me. They hurt me so badly that I want no part of them. Okay, I did not do the hurting. They did. And I'm the one who did the leaving because I don't want to be hurt. So in members, in family situations, Remember, it is up to you to put you first and make sure that you are aware and alert about how people are treating you and don't allow yourself to be abused. And that's my podcast for today. All right. Thank you very much and have a nice day. Bye-bye. The opinions expressed in the Dave Fremlin Show are strictly opinions. I am not an expert. The Dave Fremlin Show is written, directed, and produced by Dave Fremlin and is a Dave Fremlin production. Thank you for listening.